Let no debt remain outstanding except continued, the continued debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the Lord. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are all summed together in this one rule. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does not harm to its neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. <clears throat> and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come to you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than it was when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? We will definitely pray. I haven't got my notes here. <laughs> who, prayed, who prayed that I would find my notes? Thank you, Roger. <laughs> uh, Father, let, uh, let us be together this evening, united around your word and your table. Uh, let us realize uh, our place in salvation history, our place on earth. And uh, remember what you come. Amen. Well, um, I want to just uh, talk about a little TV show that may have passed your, uh, your attention. Um, but it's one that had quite a big impact on a lot of people for a while. Uh, and its show was Changing Rooms. Um, the idea of the show was that you would, not be, uh, you would have no clue at all about how to decorate one of your rooms. And so one of your friends would be invited to come and choose what to make your room into. And then you would be filmed as you saw the results enough and whether or not you stayed friends with your neighbour. Um, I don't know you well enough to um, exclude the possibility that some of these photos are like your rooms. <laughs> so I advance, I advance with trepidation. But the point is that change, goodness knows what that was before, but change isn't that easy, is it really? And one of the things that Paul appears to be dealing with is just the way that people are thinking about or thinking what might be good for one another or better, good for them. If you look at the subtext of what's going on here, uh, people seem to be sort of imposing themselves on one another. But I don't want to spend too much time on that because the key thing is to wake up 
because the one who will change you from this ghastly, <laughs> this ghastly existence um, is, is in the, oh my life, is, <laughs> is so tempting just to pretend that's at one of your houses, uh, but it's not, but it's certainly not. That looks like it's outdoors. <laughs> okay, and that one, I'm not sure. They're very keen on animals, or at least some kinds. Uh, and that one, um, to help you wake up, I guess, which is the theme of tonight. And uh, this is the sort of reaction <laughs> that people uh, got. <laughs> Somebody, and uh, Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen there thinks he's done a good job. And clearly the people either side of him do not need to. That change isn't easy, is it? We, we can laugh at what's happened to them, but we do need to uh, change. Uh, and um, a, a sports coach, golf to coach, uh, told me once um, that too many people think that they've got 20 years experience when actually they have one year's experience that they've repeated for 20 years. And it's important, actually, if we're not to remain infants, if we're to grow in our knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ, to know him better, it's going to involve change. And that's what we're exhorted to do, isn't it? Look at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 6. Let us move on. Let's move on from some fundamentals. Let's, let's go. But, but Paul is reminding this group that they need to change. And we can read quite clearly uh, from the, uh, the commandments that he has to remind them of and the behavior that he details in verse 13 uh, that they uh, clearly need to change. There are things going on in the church that don't look like the church. These are people for whom Christ gave his blood people who he has saved, who he has prepared for the kingdom of heaven when it comes, but they don't really look like they belong to that future. They kind of look like they belong to the other outcome, the other future. Power of They're living in darkness rather than light. So he tells them the hour of salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And I think that's quite a helpful thought to hold on to because if the one who is going to change you is near then that's it makes it possible I think sometimes we think this is who I am what I call the Philadelphia moment <laughs> Philadelphia cheese spread used to have an advert in which one woman said God made me this way who am I to argue well how many of us go well I'm, I, that's how I am who am I to who am I to sort of bother God about it but actually we do need to change it's important. We're being transformed and conformed, if we're open to God, all of the time. And when I meet our Lord Jesus, because we will, I'd rather talk to him about the things that we had worked out together rather than the stuff left over. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't we rather have the conversation about saying, Jesus, you were so good to me. Thank you. When you helped me with that, when you got me through that, when you picked me up and dusted me down, rather than the list of stuff which I didn't take to him. So it's important to be open and real about change, because as he draws nearer, frankly, we need to be ready. So Paul says there are two things. Well, if you look at these sins, we'll get to them in, in sort of a little bit of detail, but he talked about that, warning them to let debts go, accept the debt to love one another. Now, um, Although this is written in Greek, within the ancient world, in Aramaic, and even now in Arabic, the word amar means debt and sin. So there's this sense of being indebted to one another 
that's important, but actually the debt that Paul wants them to spend and sort out with one another is the debt of love. Christ saved me and loves me. I must spend that on others around me. And it's important. And there seems to be that there, this, there's sort of this falling out and this jealousy is, under my, is underpinning some of the sin that we see in this chapter that being alluded to. If you look at it, they're really serious ones as well, aren't they? Adultery, well, that's definitely wrong. Um, but actually, adultery begins when we start to objectify someone, when we start to fit them into our fantasy world, and I mean that with a PH fantasy sense or whatever, but, but you know, when we start to make them part of our alternative reality in which we are something else. So something, we need to change the way we act in order to, uh, to, to break out of some of these things. Adultery means, oh, you know, that's, that's a terrible thing. That's the outworking of what happens when you objectify somebody and when you make them from look, they're not. And Jesus was really tough on this. Let's not muck about. Jesus said this came just from looking at somebody lustfully. And that's, that's something that creeps in. And, and, and we should be aware of it. Murder. Well, Paul's mentioned that one there. Jesus was even tougher on this, I think. He said the sin begins in the heart. And he talked about the way it could be executed through what we say. That actually the heart revealed, what we say reveals what the heart means. And I wonder how many people have been destroyed by things we've said by things that have been taken to them and not let go. There's a brilliant poet, he used to be a BBC journalist, uh, but he, uh, Peter Jones, he, he wrote this lovely little poem. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can tear my heart out. It is really, we, you know, we can murder people in what we say. And then stealing. Well, taking from one another, especially serious time of distress that the church in Rome would be facing. And we live in relative financial security. But you know what? Sometimes we can rob people of things, robbing them and not doing something. Robbing them of their dignity, robbing them of health, robbing them of being treated well. You know, sometimes if we broaden what we are circumstances, then it's important. And all of these things are summed up uh, underneath in verse, uh, so do not covet, verse um, 9. It's mentioned there because it's such a significant thing, and I'll come to that later. But Paul emphasizes them to love one another as the outworking of the law. It, it doesn't harm us. Love shouldn't harm us. Love should build us up. Love should strengthen us. So loving your neighbor as yourself is actually the outworking of the law. And their actions, and therefore our actions, need to reflect the love of Christ if they are to look like the people who were expecting Jesus' return. Our actions portray and say a lot about us. And that's important. They say it amongst ourselves. They say it to the wider community. Of course, the law is there to guide the way we act in order that we might think 
differently. So sometimes we need to early change. It's time to change the way we think. Paul has earlier, just in this chapter, in, in, sorry, in this book, Romans chapter 7, spoken about covetousness and its rootedness in thought and action. In Romans 7, 7, you can flick to it quickly if you've got your Bible open. He writes, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. There's an honest statement to make, isn't it? That Paul knew what it was to want all things that were not for him, were not from God. Paul realized that his thoughts and actions, not only are they linked, but they're actually the same order of sin. Because your mind is no longer focusing on the things of God. It's not focusing on his goodness to you. It's focusing on what I want, what I think I need. And what we think we need leads to what we do. It was verse in the Roman church that Paul is writing to. The connections between verse 9, adultery, murder and covetousness are played out in technicolor. In verse 13, the sense between living in light and darkness, and they are living in darkness. Orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality and debauchery. And look at that, covetousness expressed in dissension and jealousy. There it is again, that little root. Thinking less of myself and then thinking even less of somebody else as a result. That's an important thing to change because at stake is our relationship and our understanding of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus talked about this. In the Sermon of the Mount, he worked out, you know, that for it is within, out of a person's heart, that evil's thoughts uh, arise. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. I love that word, folly. And um, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. So there's this thing going on here. This change that Paul is looking for is not just the outward action where we all look like, where we look for people, but the inward heart of who we are, where we really are wonderful people. That's a tricky old thing, isn't it? But we need to be honest with ourselves. And it's James in his letter goes a little bit further. And he underlines that when desire has conceived, desire gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. In my notes, it says, so wake up, shout. <laughs> So we need to wake up. The hour is near. There's no point slumbering about what we really are. It's no good because we're getting used to it because we're comfy. The word woke is very um, controversial today. Uh, and it's used often to describe people's reactions to very horrible things. 
uh, particularly racism. And the idea of being woke carries the weight that people have lived under oppression. They've lived with the weight of oppression for generations, and now they realize, they're realizing the impact it has had upon them, how they have missed out, how they have lost out, how they have been abused, how they have been disabused of things uh, that were really for them. So woke is a, is a word that describes a generation of people who now want to deal with it, who now want to say, you know what, this isn't on. This isn't how things are meant to be. And I think the church should have been a woke generation from the first century. We should have been saying that stuff about ourselves and society all that time. I'm not saying they were always in the position to, but why are we, are we saying, this isn't on? This isn't how things should be. I'm not wrestling with stuff that I should do. The word slumber. Verse 11, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Um, medical people will say hoopoe. We've got hoopoe here. And it's talking about being under. Being under something. And it's not just a sleep that is normal. It's a sleep that is under the power of something. Uh, the word is used four or five times. It's in the New Testament. It's used for the deep sleep that Joseph is in when he has the vision about Jesus coming, the dream about Jesus coming. It's used for the little girl that Jesus healed, Talitha Kumi. She was in a deep sleep, hupo. It was not a sort of sleep, if you like. It's used for the sleep when the disciples failed to watch Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not quite right. It's a sleep that indicates a spiritual failure. And just for fun, it's used for the poor young man Eutychus dropping off to sleep on the window ledge and falling to the floor rather than listen to Paul, who, according to Acts, was going on. Rather, I will save you that. But there's a point, isn't there? Are we awake? Did we realise that we were used to something that's not quite? Have we become used to habits and patterns and thoughts that really we ought to have taken to Jesus some time ago? Is, he, is that sort of stuff still permeating who we are? Is our heart just got used to it and beats slightly differently to accommodate it? Are we being able to be open with Jesus about our sin? Sin that we've actually got used to. Sin that is actually in place of the wholeness that Jesus wants for you. Love your neighbour as yourself implies at least that you are loved. That you can love yourself. That you are lovable that you are accepted by God, that there's nothing special that you have done that makes you stand out, made, you, made him pick you, that he loves you simply because he made you and wants to. Now, I think for a lot of people, that's actually accepting that you are loved is really difficult. And we're no different from the church in Rome. Look at the things they got up to because they didn't feel that they were loved 
or lovable. Most of those sins that they're committing are, are about meeting a lack in ourselves. Meeting something in ourselves that we don't think we have. Some kind of weakness. So, for example, a simple example would be his wife, look at adultery. His wife is so beautiful. I wish I was attractive enough for her to have desired me instead. The problem is the thought rooted in, I wish I was attractive enough to be loved. That's the cause, isn't it? That we think love is about outward appearances. We know full well that God looks at the heart. And we need to examine our heart then. We need to look about who, what we really are. And sometimes what we do, why we do some of the things that we do. What thoughts drive our actions. And sometimes that forms a pattern that um, is easy to just get used to. We can get used to being angry. We can get used to watching the wrong sorts of things late at night. We can get used to another glass. We can get used to having our own way. You know, those are patterns that may not be Christ-like, that may not be the sorts of things that Jesus would have us do. So I want to look just briefly at something about helping us with this, because being aware of a pattern of behavior, being aware of these sorts of things, the covetousness that is trying to compensate for our lack of love, how does it reveal itself in our lives? How does it sort of leap out upon us? And a simple thing would be to quite frankly say to yourself, is Jesus or Satan enjoying this moment? The little wrestling match that I'm going on, that's going on in here right now, even if I'm talking to somebody or if I'm on my own, on my own, is Jesus enjoying this or is Satan? Who, who asking that? The thing is to partly to spot and follow uh, the logical outcome, but let's start by asking that question and then how that might work out in our lives. Because if we want to change, we know it's an ongoing process. Some of you will have had quite dramatic encounters with Christ that have changed your lives. Some of us uh, have had a mix, and some of us have always known, have never known anything different except the constant drip, drip of God's love in our lives. But if we want to change a little, if we want to change, I want to give you a little bit of structure, perhaps, about how that might work. And a good thing to starting point is actually to recognize that this conversation or this activity isn't going the way that Jesus would want me to. So if you're not sure, ask yourself, is Jesus happy or Satan? I'm sorry to make things so black and white. I mean, sometimes we have fairly neutral conversations, but we're talking about um, activities that lead us where perhaps we shouldn't go. And then the instant thing is to take it to Christ, to take it to him. You know what? To deal with your list now rather than later. Say, so, you know what? I'm sorry, right in the moment. And then, say, and then because he loves you, and because we learned from Revelation that his blood sprinkles over our mistakes and sins until we get there. Receive his forgiveness and accept it. Accept that you're loved. Accept that he has forgiven you. Sometimes we need to hear that. Sometimes, you know, it's good to sit and wait until you do. And then do the opposite. Replace what you were going to do with something that Jesus might have done instead. Paul writes to the church in Rome 
to be aware. Put off the deeds of darkness that crowd and get in the way of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That are blockages almost to our ability to talk to God because he is holy and he can't countenance our sin. And if our sin is in the way, what are we going to do otherwise? To deal with it. And put off the darkness, but instead replace it with the clothing. Listen, this lovely. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let his presence and his likeness permeate you, shield you, fill you, strengthen you, guide you, love you. Let that happen instead. Be aware of his great love for you. Be aware that he's chosen to make you his. He snatched you out of the fire. Now stop trying to jump back in. If you want an image for that, um, in, in, in a, one of them, the Pulitzer Prize, the image of the only Pulitzer winner I've ever read, actually. Um, there's an image of crabs, a bucket of crabs. And I've never done this. I've never done this, but um, I'm, I'm told that if a crab tries to escape from the bucket of crabs, the other crabs drag it back in. And Christ has pulled you out. You don't need to be dragged down by others, dragged down back into that life, but be pulled, allow yourself to rest, be rescued. He hasn't given up on you. He continues to love you. And he is coming for you. Our hour of salvation is 20 minutes nearer than when I began. We are getting nearer all the time. So let's be ready. and Let's enjoy what he's preparing for us. Some of it we can enjoy now. That knowledge that we're forgiven and loved can happen now. And then we'll know just how wonderfully near our saviour, the one who can change us, is. Shall we pray?